Hey, good morning, church. Welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. So good to be together. Hey, uh, if you noticed, I don't know, you probably didn't and you wouldn't, but uh, I'm hobbling around this morning, um, making my way places as I am able. But here's the context for why I'm hobbling. So uh, one of the guys that I uh, coach with, uh, basketball young men, he invited me to a, a basketball, to play basketball yesterday, but he called the game an old man run, which I guess is like where old guys get together and play basketball. So I didn't know if I should be offended when I got invited to that or not. Um, I chose not to take offense, but I did show up 8 a.m. yesterday, and then I get there, and like all the guys are in their late 20s. I'm like, we need to redefine old man. Like I, that, I'm... I don't know if you know how old I am. I'm slightly older than 28. And uh, so I got there. And of course, like, I, uh, I have to play. And so I'm guarding a guy who clearly works out a lot. And he's 28 years old. And, you know, I can't not guard him. And so at some point in there, like, my Achilles just said, no, thank you very much. And you know, I, I played as long as I could. We won all of our games, which was awesome. Not that winning is everything, but it is something. But um, I will be paying for my old man run game for the probably the next two weeks. So I just wanted to let you know that's why I'm limping. And number two, just want to prepare you. If you get invited to an old man run or an old woman run, just clarify the age before you go. It might be helpful, might be helpful for you to save your body and your longevity. Uh, hey, excited to be here this morning. If you're new here, if this is your first time, a special welcome to you. I know it takes courage to go to a new place. We are a hospitable bunch. We're so thankful that you're here. You can stay anonymous as long as you want to, but at any point where you want more information, we've got a back table in the back with some friendly faces, and uh, I'm down front. I'd love to just meet you, but uh, no pressure, right? But thank you for coming if, uh, if you're new here. So um, let me tell you, I'm just going to tell you, we're in a new series starting this morning, but it wasn't the plan when we launched into this year. Uh, we were supposed to, about this time, uh, start launching into a relationship series uh, because uh, I feel like we've been in some heavy places, I feel like, and I just thought, like, we need to do something fun. In February uh, 14th-ish, I think, is Valentine's Day. Is it the 14th? Yeah, Valentine's Day sometime in February. Like, let's do a relationship series because that would be fun. And then it just, like, over the last couple weeks, um, the Lord just made it clear that we're not, we're not going to do that, uh, but we are entering into a series on worship, right? getting back to things of first priority. And so uh, that's where we're going to be for the next several weeks. Got like a loose outline of the different weeks that are coming. And my sense is probably this. It's just kind of clicked in with me in the first service that, you know, last year we kind of did faith. It was like the reoccurring thing that we didn't just hit it once in January, February, and then leave it. It was like we sporadically went back to it over the course of the year. My, I'm just assuming and my sense is that we'll do a series here on worship, and then we'll like maybe intermittently hit it again through the rest of the year. And, uh, and that will make sense why we're doing that, maybe over the next couple of weeks as I give background and context for why um, this is a season for us in obedience and honoring what the Lord is doing among us here. It's a time for us to lean into to worship. And so we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to do it. So if you notice this morning, we did one song, and now here I am, right? We're not doing less worship. We just wanted to put the worship on the other side of the message, and that was very intentional, and we'll probably do that some during this 
series. But if you want to join, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, fascinating story that we're going to jump into. And as you're turning there, I want to take you back to a moment in my childhood that I'm not proud of. We'll call it uh, one of those moments that that you'd love to take back and have a redo on. But here's the context. My family went on a trip to Niagara Falls, and, um, and somebody had the idea that on this particular day, the, the family activity that we were going to do was we were going to go on uh, the Maid of the Mist. Anybody heard or been on the Maid of the Mist? Right? It's, a, it's a boat that uh, goes on the bottom side of the falls in the Niagara River, and it like motors its way on up and gets as close to the falls as it can, and you get to just be there on the boat in the water with Niagara Falls, like, in all of its splendor and glory coming over the cliffs, you get to, like, be as close as you safely can get, and then you get all the corresponding mist that comes with uh, a raging waterfall, which is why they call the boat the Maid of the Mist. And as soon as I um, heard that that was the plan for the day, I, there's something about that that I did not like. And I think if I remember back, I was in elementary school, I think it was two things. One is, uh, I don't know the captain of that boat, and I, I don't know him, I don't trust him. I don't, I don't want to get that close to Niagara Falls with a guy that I don't know who's captaining the ship. Because I know that like, there's so much water erupting over that thing. If you get in the falls, like we're all dead. I, I just know that as a, as a little elementary school kid. And then the second thing was, for whatever reason, I was such a weenie. I just didn't want to get wet. Right? Because I just knew that like the people coming off this thing are soaked and I didn't, I didn't want to get soaked. And so here's what I did. I threw a royal fit. Uh, uh, an elementary school tantrum is what I engaged in. And I did it with such fervor that I was relieved of having to go on the Maid of the Mist. But now here's the deal. Right? In, like, if, you're, if you're not going to put your attention... On Niagara Falls, Brian, then you have to have something else to give your attention to. If not the falls, then something else. So here's what I did. I went to an arcade and I played Pac-Man. Horrible life decision. Terrible, right? I was offered the opportunity to see, like the sum total of like not all at the same time, but like water from all the great lakes channeling its way to this one narrow spot, erupting over a waterfall, one of the great natural wonders of the world. And I had the opportunity to get on a boat on the bottom side of it and get to a very close proximity distance to it. And I said, no, I don't want to put my attention on that. I want to put my attention on Pac-Man. What a horrible young person I was. Tragic life mistake. To this day, I've never been on the Maid of the Mist. It brings too much shame to my heart that I was such a weenie as an elementary school kid. Right? But, that, but that, that, there it was. No Niagara Falls, yes Pac-Man. No to the natural splendor of the waterfall and yes to a blinking screen with 14-bit graphics and a joystick. Right? I'll I'll say it again. When we do not put our attention on the best things, our attention will go to other things, and those other things will always be lesser things. We were made by God to enjoy God. 
And we call that worship. He's, he's the best thing. And we ought to do that all the time. In everything that we're doing, we're invited to do that. But when we don't put our attention on him, our attention goes to other lesser places. And we're going to see an example of this in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 38. Here we go. Fascinating story. Now, as they went on their way, that's Jesus and his disciples. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. All right, so Jesus is passing through town. Martha's home is in the town. She says, Jesus, I want to show you hospitality, you and your disciples, other friends. Come on into my house. This is the place for you to be. And in Martha's house, Jesus is present and he begins to teach. And not Martha, but Mary, her sister, does two things. She reduces the distance between her and Jesus to about as close as you can get. Luke tells us that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. That's close proximity. And then two, Luke tells us that she is listening to his teaching. Mary's locked in to the best thing who is a person in the room. Her attention is on Niagara Falls. Martha's, well, we'll get there. Martha's is somewhere else. But what Mary is doing here is a common theme in the Gospels. Where, like, wherever Jesus goes, what people want to do, not all people, but lots of people want to reduce the distance between them and Jesus. They want to get as close as possible. And then when Jesus starts talking, they want to listen. Right? And, and in, the, in the Gospels, there are several occasions where Jesus feeds a multitude of people. But the backstory behind the feeding of the multitudes is always the same. It's, the, it's what Jesus is doing, or sorry, what, what Mary is doing here. Here's how, here's how the story of the multitude of feeding, uh, feedings, uh, actually, they all go. Jesus will enter a certain region, and then he'll just choose to go out and hang out in like one spot that's outside of several villages, several miles from any village. And then word starts to spread and people start to hear that Jesus is a couple miles out there. And then here's what people do. Immediately they leave their house, they reduce the distance between them and Jesus, and they listen. They get close and they listen. Here's what they don't do. They don't hear the word, oh, Jesus is here. He's out two miles from your village. This is what doesn't happen. People don't say then, Oh, great. Thanks for letting us know. Okay, gang, here's what we're going to do. Everybody, let's get some bread out. We're going to make some sandwiches. And we're going to bag them up. We're going to stick them in the cooler. Sally, you get some fruit. Wash it first. Make sure you cut it up nicely, but make sure it's washed. 
and we'll get we'll get like a container with some drinks we'll bring some cups say don't forget the blankets because we want to make sure we're comfortable let's get all of our picnic provisions together so that we can have food for the day let's do that first and then we'll go and get close to Jesus and listen to what he's saying nobody seems to do that what they do is they hear Jesus is there and they go taking no mind of preparations of things that will help to feed them and drink them throughout the course of the time that they're going to be with Jesus. They just go. And then here's how the story of the feeding of the thousands always goes. At the end of the day when Jesus is finished doing his teaching, that's the point when everybody there realizes they're all famished. They don't seem to be thinking about that at all while Jesus is teaching, but as soon as the day is worn on and Jesus is done, then everybody realizes, oh dang, we're hungry. And then here's what Jesus does. He feeds everybody. Right? But because nobody has taken any mind to provisions of food, there's such, there's such little there for Jesus to work with. Five loaves and two fish thousands of people that's all that was brought to the occasion because they just want to be there with him and what jesus always does is he takes those few provisions that somebody brought and he slices them and he dices them and he offers them up to the father and the father gifts them back with blessing and then everybody gets fed like overfilled satiated everybody's feeling good and then we get to go home but that's how good jesus is that when any time anyone puts their attention on him to get in close proximity and to listen to him, right? And they don't think about all the other things that need attended to, food and drink and all things. What Jesus loves to do is to give us those things as well. It's almost like what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Put your attention on him. And you will receive the best things. And then at the end of the day, when you're hungry, he'll take care of that too. Just trust him. But put your attention on him. He'll take, he'll take care of everything. And so here, Mary is entering into that. Here's Jesus. He, he has my undivided attention. And I'm just going to trust him with everything else. Mary is doing well here. Verse 40, but, right, Mary's got her attention in the right place. Verse 40, but, now something different's going to go on now, something different than what Mary is doing, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted. What was Martha distracted from? She's distracted from Jesus. She's distracted, which means she's not giving her attention to Jesus. It's, and anytime your attention is not on the best thing, it's going to go to something lesser. No Niagara Falls, yes, Pac-Man, right? No Jesus, yes, to, but her attention is from Jesus, not on him, but it's on serving. She was distracted with much serving the the word that we could use here for serving is we could say and this would be like the new testament word martha was distracted with deaconing deacon 
deacons, deaconing. Does that name ring a bell? In the book of Acts, there is an entire office of early church leaders that are given the title of deacon and deaconess. And what deacons and deaconesses do is they, they do deaconing work. They serve. They attend to people. They bless people in tangible, tactical ways. And, and when you read the qualifications for those who would do deaconing work in the New Testament, they're exceptional people, high character, gifted, right? The kind of men and women that you trust, because it's, it's an important thing that exists in the early church doing this deaconing work, okay? And for that reason, historically, anytime I would be teaching on Mary or Martha or anytime this story would come up, I would be the fiercest defender of Martha that you're going to find in the room. Because Martha, she's doing good work. She's deaconing. She's serving. She is being attentive to the needs of the people that are in her house. She's back in the kitchen, and she's making food. And she's pouring drinks, and she's wiping counters down, and she's making sure that the pillows are fluffed and everybody is attended to in a way that will make them feel welcome and make them like feel cared for. Martha is doing good work, and so I would defend her, because we all need to be doing these kinds of things. Let's not disparage the work that Martha is doing. But now I'm, I'm older now. I'm a little wiser, and I see things a little clearer than I used to. Which means that I'm no longer able to defend Martha. I count her as a sister. She's a sister in the Lord, and I love her. But in this place, in Luke chapter 10, I can't be her defender anymore. Because I see more clearly now what's happening in this story. And because I see what's going on in this story, it leads me to conclude and to believe that the deaconing work that Martha is doing that appears to be good to everyone in the house, it's not actually and truly good. It's actually more along the lines of destructive and damaging. Good word, deaconing, but the fruitfulness of what Martha is doing here is actually going to be insidious and destructive. So we've got a character contrast here going on that Luke is drawing out for us. Let's just be clear on the character contrast. Here's the differences between the two. Mary. Because Mary's attention is on Jesus, Mary is the one person in the household now who is actually fit to do the good work of serving, of deaconing. But Martha, whose attention is not on Jesus, her attention is singularly on people. Because her attention is only on people, it necessitates that the deaconing work that she is doing is actually not good and helpful to anyone in the house. But actually, it's harmful. All right, let, let's continue. So Martha was distracted from Jesus with much serving, and here's what she does. Right, just Martha continuing on her trajectory here, and it's just rolling on out for us. And she, Martha, went up to Jesus and said, 
Now, I don't know if she interrupts Jesus' teaching here and this is public, or if she pulls Jesus aside and it's private. Regardless, it's awkward and it's happening. And Martha went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Jesus, you tell her to come deacon with me. Tell her to get off her backside, get on up, and start joining me in the good work that I am doing. Jesus, join me in agreement that my sister Mary is selfish, lazy, and uncaring. Jesus, join me there now. And Jesus, join me, Martha, in agreeing that I, Martha, am selfless, and generous and a great servant. Jesus, I invite you in to where I am. Verse 41. But but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Sometimes when God has to get our attention, he's got to say our name not once but twice. Because once once isn't enough. Martha, got something to say. No, no, no. Martha. Martha. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Jesus says, Martha, I I can't join you where you are right now. And two two things Martha's got going on that she's inviting Jesus into. One, Martha is inviting Jesus into her feelings. How is Martha feeling right now? Well, we could list the emotions. She's feeling lonely. She's doing it all by herself. That's loneliness. She's feeling angry. Because she's the only one who's working and her sister is just sitting on her butt. So she's lonely, she's angry, she's hurt that like nobody's joined her team and is advocating for her. Martha is feeling a whole lot of things. And she says, Jesus, I'm inviting you in. I want to tell you how I'm feeling so that you can enter in and affirm how I am feeling. And from her feelings, then Martha is, she's spinning her version of the story. I'm feeling this way because I am doing all the deaconing good work and my sister is doing nothing to help me and I'm good and she's bad and I'm a hard worker and she's lazy and this is how it always is. It's always been like this and I'm good. She's bad. Jesus, join me in my feelings and join me in my interpretation of all the things that are going on here so you, Jesus, can be on my team. There's a danger, 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 friends. 
Here's what we have to understand, and we have to realize this about the affairs of men. And by that I mean men and women, people. What we often do is we join people who invite us in to their feelings and their story that they have associated with those feelings. They invite us in to be a part of their team so that we can affirm them and approve of them and join them and be with them and against whoever else. This is a normal human phenomenon. It happens every single day. My, my sense is there's probably some psychology textbook out there that has a name for this. I don't know what it is because this is common to man. And Martha is inviting Jesus in to all of her distraction and all of her worry, all of her anxiety. And Jesus says, no, Martha, I can't, I, I can't join you there. Right? But the scary thing is, is that so often we, when I say we, I don't just mean Garden City, I mean we as fallen human beings. What we do is we often do join people there. And in so doing, we are affirming and approving of people in something that the Father is not. Think about that. We come alongside people and say, they're there, you are right, they are wrong, you're the martyr, you're the victim, they're the oppressor, they're the perpetrator, and we join them in this place and make them believe all these things are true when the Father is saying, no, stop it, I'm not there with that person, and you ought not be there with that person either, you are propagating dysfunction by joining Joining this person in this place. Stop working against me. But we don't see it because we are not attentive to the Father. We are attentive to people. And so we join people. But Jesus, on the other hand, is attentive to the Father, which allows him to do something altogether different with people. Right, Martha, my guess is Martha is an influential lady. She's got some deep feelings. She's got a clear script of what's going on in the room. And I don't know if Jesus is the only person that she's invited into this, or if Martha's been murmuring the whole time that Jesus has been teaching and Mary has been sitting. My assumption is, is that Martha has been murmuring the whole time. And here's what I know to be true because I know people. I have no doubt that if given enough time, Martha would have everyone in the room on her team believing her distracted stuff is right and good. That she's the victim, she's the martyr, Mary's the bad person. Martha would be able to move the room because we're movable. But Jesus says, no, no. In basketball, sometimes when you block somebody, you say, no, no, no. 
We all say, yes, Martha, I'm with you. Jesus says, no, no, no. No, no, I, 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 I'm not going, I'm not going there with you. Martha, Martha, here's the truth. The truth is, you don't see it. You don't feel it. You don't know the truth, Martha, but you got to trust me here. Here's what's true. You are anxious. You are troubled about so many things. That's what's really going on here. Wow. What a courageous risky relational move that Jesus makes that we don't normally do, but Jesus does it. Why is Jesus able to do this and we are so often not? I'll say it again. Because Jesus lives his life with his constant attention on the Father. We live our lives with constant attention on people. We get sucked in. Jesus is sucked into a different place altogether. The glory of the Father and the Spirit. That's where he lives his life. And it allows him to transcend human relationships and do them differently. Or to put it this way. Jesus, because he lives his life attentive to the Father, is free. To not have to align himself nor agree with people in their dysfunction. But instead of that, he says, Father, I love you. I see you. I am so attuned with you. I'm so attuned with you that I am attuned with what you are doing in people. And so I just simply want to join you in where you are moving in and with people. And where people are moving outside of you, I, I will speak the truth to them in love. But I must join you in what you are doing in people. See, as people, um, we use the word tribal a lot. We're tribal. We collect together as groups. And I don't think that tribal is necessarily a bad word. But because there are only like so many human connections and relationships that we can foster and keep going. It's not bad to have a community or to have a group that you identify with. It actually, it can be quite good. But what we often do in our tribal nature is we turn those tribes into factions. That's not good. A faction is like, like we're the good ones, we're the right ones, we're the smart ones, and y'all over here on the other team, you're the idiots. You're the bad people. We, we don't like you. We're good. You're bad. And we we're so faction-oriented in our relationships because our attention is singularly on people and on those relationships. It's why we're faction-oriented people. Right, But Jesus, whose attention is on the Father, now is free to be for everyone and to challenge everyone. You see that? Jesus is for every person on planet Earth. But he doesn't agree with every person on planet Earth. And so the way that he's going to be for them is he's going to join what the Father's doing and he'll challenge us in all of our unique dysfunction. Martha, Martha, you're distracted and anxious about many things. You're anxious and you're troubled, right? But he's got different things to say to us. 
where we're saying, Jesus, join me in my feelings. Raw, I'm so mad and so cranky. Join me. And my story is this. Here's my narrative of things. We're the good people. They're the bad people. Join me. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to join you, but I am going to love you. Here's the truth, Brian. Here's what's really going on in your heart. Let's go there because that's what the Father is seeking to do in you now. Instead of joining people where people want to be joined, Jesus meets people and, and does with them and for them what the Father is seeking to do. Only a worshiper can do that. Only a worshiper can do that. Verse 42, Jesus continues, right? You're anxious, Martha, and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And this is where my vision has gotten clearer in my mature years. There's one thing that matters here. And Luke is just drawing this to a place of crystal clarity. There is one thing in this room, Martha, that is important. One thing we should have our attention in one place. One singular focus is appropriate now. Mary has chosen that good thing. Mary is right on point. Her attention is on me. She's close and she's listening and she's being attentive to my words. Mary has chosen the good portion and that will not be taken away from her. I, Jesus, will not take that from her because that's what the Father has invited her into and Sister Mary is just joining along. That's what's happening right now in the room, Martha. I think the question for us as we get out of the gate this morning regarding this series is where, where is our attention now and in this season of life that we all find ourselves in? Early 2024, right? Where is our attention? If it's not on the best, it will be on something inherently less. And Jesus is saying, oh, fix your eyes on me. Fix them on me. Here's, here's why this is so important for us. Uh, there's a few of us here that we believe that the Lord has some things this year for us to do as a church. I'm just going to be, as, that, that's as clear as I'm going to get, I'm just going to be that cryptic right now. There's some things that the Lord has for us as a church to do. Now that's true of every church in the entire world. God has, thing, God has things for every community of his followers to do. God has things for every family that names the name of Jesus. He has things that he wants to lead every individual disciple into. Of course, Brian. But I'm talking specifically for us now. There's a few of us that like, we feel like the Lord has some things that he wants to move us into that we would do. Good Things, deaconing kinds of things, people, things that serve and attend to people well. The question is, how are we going to get there? Because what we could do is we could have a deacon pep rally 
for the next three weeks. We could show up, we could sing some high energy songs, and we could say, let's go love the city! Woo! Let's go get them! Let's bless them! Let's serve them! Let's make food! Let's hem garments! Let's go fix front porches. Let's go deacon bonkers in the city of Akron because God clearly is calling his church to serve, right? And we could just go rah-rah about all the good things that we want to do, we believe we're called to do, and we could go high-five, and we could just like hug each other. We could sing Kumbaya, maybe half of it because it's not a great song, but then we get out of here, we just start tearing the place up in love. The problem is, if our attention is on people, and our attention is on serving, and our attention is on doing good, and we're just attending to people and all the things they need fixed, here's what's going to happen over time. The things that we do will actually not be good. They will become harmful and destructive, first and foremost for us, and then from that place for all the people that we're trying to serve. That's how it goes down. Thank you, Martha, for modeling for us the direction that we ought not go. We can take good things and we can absolutely trash them and corrupt them. Deaconing gone wrong. Luke chapter 10. So we're not going to do the pep rally. We're not going to go like, hey, let's let's have the, the deaconing, right? Call of excitement. Let's go flip the city upside down. That's not, that's not where we're at this year. I don't know where we're going to get. Maybe we get to something like that. Maybe. I don't know. But as a matter of first principles and first priorities, our attention is not to be on the city and on people. Our attention has to be on Him. Father, Son, Spirit, triune God, majestic in glory, high and lifted up. Fix your eyes on Him. Don't do anything else until you've done that. Fix your eyes on Him, right? And then from that place of being with him and learning from him and just abiding with him, then when we step in to relationships with people and doing all the things we were made to do, we will do it from a place where we are fit for service. We will do the work of Martha, but with the heart of a Mary. That's what we got to get down. So we got to put first things first. We must We must learn to be a worshiping church and that everything that we do has to flow from that or it's not good. For those in Akron in the area that know or have heard of Garden City, if they know something about us, they would probably say something like this. Oh, Garden City, they're those people who are trying to be the multi church. Good for them. They're making a run at it. They're going for it, right? In all the ways that the broken world divides, we believe that Jesus wants to bring us together. Multi-ethnic, multi-age, multi-income, multi-political, right? And if you ask people that know of us or have heard of us, they would say, wow, good for them. That's good. That's deaconing kinds of stuff. That's good work. But here, this would be my hope. If this, if, if, there's never a guarantee, but if this actually settles into us, if I allow it to settle into me, this thing that I believe the Lord is calling us to, then here's what I think would happen. 
year and a half, two years from now, people in the city say, Garden City Church, what are they? Who are they? Oh, that's the, ch- that's the worshiping church. Dang. Have you ever been the place where they're gathered and they're singing? Like they're, I don't know what's going on there, but their attention is on the one who is high and lifted up. They see Jesus and they love him and they lift him. And some of them do it while they're sitting down because they're introverts and that's who they are. But some of them are doing like flips in the aisle way. Don't do too many flips. You might knock somebody out. But like they, whatever that looks like for you, like that, that's the, the group of people that worship him. They love him. Oh, and by the way, I think maybe there's like a, a multi-church desire that they have too. But wouldn't that be cool if we were known by the first principles and first priorities? Worship the Lord. And then dot, 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 etc., etc. Oh yeah, I think they're trying to be a multi-church too. That would be like we would know that we have arrived and that this has settled in if we get to that place. And the reason why that is so important for us is that if we ever get to the place where we say we're not just an aspiring multi-church, but no, we are a multi-church, the only way that that will be good, the only way that deaconing is good, the only way that multi is good is when it's done by a people who are fixed on him. Period. That's it. Fixed on him. And whatever else you do, yes. But if we're not fixed on him, I don't care what it is that you're doing. Multi, deaconing, eldering, serving, leading worship, preaching. If you're not fixed on him, oh man, you just, it's not good. Not good. Not building the kingdom, not blessing people. It's not growing the body. It's not. It's not. Band, come on back up. We're going to sing. So the invitation, church, is that we would learn and grow to become a worshiping people. And that's on Sundays here when we're together, that we would learn and attend to the Lord, that we would, we would do that. Right? We were made to do it. So it's not like we're learning some foreign language. It's our native tongue. We just got to get reacquainted with it. The invitation is there to join. And so now we're, we're going to sing like a few songs. Started with one. We've got a little time to do some back-to-back-to-back songs here. And we're going to just, whatever this looks like for you, we're just going to set our attention on him. Let all the other things pass away. Picnic, sandwiches, fruit, relation, all the things, work, all the things we have to attend to, just let them go. Seek first him and his kingdom. Be attentive to him. And then we'll let him order all things. Let's worship. Father in heaven, I do pray that your spirit would uh, minister strangely to us now. I say strangely, not in, a, in an odd way, but in an uncommon way. Father, that you would give us a tangible experience of laying down the things that distract us and make us anxious and that you 
by your glorious presence would just melt those things away and that you would allow us to experience what it is like to be fixed upon you to sing to you and then to receive from you and to worship you and then to be blessed by you that beautiful back and forth relationship that worship is with you and Father, I pray that your spirit would be the ultimate worship leader in the house, that you would lead our band, Andrew, the team, and that we would just join you in what you're doing among us. Would you disciple us, tutor us to become a worshiping community? Because you're worth it. And we want our attention to be in the right place. Thanks for loving us so well. Thanks for attending and being attentive to us so that we can learn how to be attentive to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we sing.